Welcome to episode four of Perspectives Unsettled. I am your host, Emily Luttrell. And I'm Ben Stewart. And with us is our producer, Noah Gray. Hi, I was taking a drink of water. (laughs) Welcome to the podcast. Um, So we're talking about Jesus. And as we were kind of getting ready to start recording, ended up talking about Easter, um, Easter candy. And then Ben was very excited and saying, all right, I've got some peep statistics. Yeah. So we've got breaking news. Breaking news, friends. Verbatim. Those were the words. Well, I mean, being around the Easter season, it's it's one of the probably top three things that are on people's minds. Yeah. Peeps. Peeps. Resurrection, peeps. Yep. And then and then Easter egg hunt. Exactly. Probably. That and wearing pastels. Yeah. Do I have my do I have my (laughs) hat ready? Do I have to? (laughs) Right. Well, do you have you you have to own seersucker, don't you? Like a seersucker. Like, like a bow tie. Probably. I'm going to sidestep that question by giving you <laughs> some really amazing yes. information about peeps. I'm ready. Because peeps are controversial. Like people either love them mm-hmm. or absolutely hate them. But did you know that on average, 5.5 million peeps are made every day? Every day. Every day, Emily. Every day. There's not a slow season. 5.5 million. Well, I mean, it says on average. So it could be that from January through, I'll say March-ish, there's a higher, you know, output. Mm -hmm. Um, And maybe from like June through October, it's slower. I don't know that for a fact, but Mm -hmm. that would be my educated guess. Um, Peeps are made or born, if you will. In, I will I will not. They are made in the just born factory in Bethlehem. What? Pennsylvania. Pennsylvania. <laughs> <laughs> this is riveting podcast info. <laughs> yes, it is. Honestly, I am riveted. Um, and they do make more than one billion peeps a year, which would that that validate tracks. the five point yeah. five on average. How on earth are there a like people who I think about the, the population of the world. Yeah. I, I mean, understand. this is not just a US based <laughs> phenomenon. This is this is, is, is global. Are peeps global? They, oh, absolutely. They are global. Each peep, also <laughs> just so you know, has 32 calories. Not bad. Okay. Guess which color is the most popular. Your choices are yellow. pink, blue, or yellow. Uh, yellow. I mean, I have to assume. Yeah, it's yellow. Classic. Yeah, I mean, that's no, there's no question. When you, who thinks of a peep and goes blue? So, so here's my question for you two. Mm-hmm. When you were growing up and you got Easter egg basket full of candy or mm-hmm. whatever, whatever container of candy you got, were peeps the most, the candy you were most excited about or what was the candy you were like, mm-hmm. oh, this is awesome. Uh, peeps were not. Hmm. They're not your candy. They're, they're not, not my candy. They're not for me. I Are really... they candy? Because they're just marshmallows. Is marshmallow well, is candy? So you're also... not one of the 700 million persons <laughs> no. that buys a peep. Uh-uh. In I've the... never okay. bought. That's my last stat. <laughs> I haven't bought a single peep. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> you're getting nary a peep out of me. <laughs> you're peepless. <laughs> um, when I was growing up, I think the uh, the Easter egg shaped. Reese's were amazing. But then as a teenager, I discovered that Cadbury had 
Cadbury mini eggs mm-hmm. coated in candy, and those mm-hmm. are amazing. Yep. I can go through way too many of those. Mm-hmm. Okay. Emily? Here's the thing is I don't like chocolate, yeah. and I have never liked chocolate. It's a sad life. I would For someone who bakes a lot. <laughs> yeah. I have received a chocolate bunny for Easter every year of my life. <laughs> from people that know you don't like chocolate? Um, yeah. <laughs> like like from my yeah. family, I right. don't I don't get Easter baskets from strangers usually. Um <laughs> True. So, um yeah, I don't I don't have like a strong candy like connection to Easter, which is not normal I think for most people. Mm-hmm. But like I do like the Reese's. Did eggs. you? Did you or do you? They're paint mostly peanut butter though. So. Easter eggs, like actual mm-hmm. eggs. Oh you yeah, know, the I whole was, thing. Yeah, I was very into like crafts as a right. child, so that was a big deal to me. Yeah. Like drawing on it with the white crayon right, right, right. and then dyeing or like it. dipping it with the little wire yeah, dipper doing thing. Like stripes. Yep. I was definitely into that. Definitely yep. into the. My mom would do like scavenger hunt for baskets. Mm-hmm. Definitely into that. Okay. Um. Not not a big candy child. Okay. Hmm. How about you? Oh, yeah. I mean, I'll like any sort of candy <laughs> um, back in my childhood up through still present today. The egg shaped Reese's peanut butter mm-hmm. is just hands down it's the, the best. winner. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I it's, will reveal my cards, though, and say I do. I, I might enjoy a peep here enjoy and there. Enjoy a peep? Yeah. I'm not like. Are you like excited for peep season? No, it's just sort of like, oh, they're here. I'll mm-hmm. eat one. Yeah. They're, I'm not. I'm not sitting around waiting for peep season to start, <laughs> mm. um, but I am really excited. Any any shaped Reese's peanut butter, mm-hmm. like at Christmas time, the, trees, the tree, yeah, absolutely. Oh. Even Valentine's, the heart, so and good. There's just something about it that tastes even better than the normal shape. Yeah, I so. think it's because it's there's so much more peanut butter inside, right. which is why yeah. I like Reese's because it's mostly peanut butter. Right, because there's chocolate. I know, but I'll, I'll I'll deal with the chocolate. I see. Yeah. Then there's a whole subset of people who like peeps, but people. stale. Yeah. Stale peeps. Stale people. I, as much as I can't get down with a peep, I don't. I, that's, that's even, even worse. worse. He's not here to defend himself, but I, I'm pretty sure my brother is in that in that <laughs> group of people. That's the who like, hurt you guys. <laughs> <laughs> we had a we had a hard childhood. Okay. Have you ever made s'mores with peeps? No. I I will get behind that. <gasps> No, but s'mores with Reese's blown right s'mores now. Yeah, s'mores with, with Reese's peep and oh, no. Reese's egg, too too much, just mm, enough. I don't know. I feel like the peep and the peanut butter. I mean, it's just I a marshmallow. Know. That's true. It might have. I don't know. To, might have to be my experiment for this year. Yeah, let me know how it goes. Depending on who you talk to, Jesus is a historic figure, a moral teacher, a pop culture character, a myth, a god, or a punchline. Everyone who's heard of him has an opinion of who Jesus was. Growing up in the church world in Midwest America, Jesus was the answer to every Sunday school question, the main character of every Bible story, the star of every worship service. I can't count how many times I heard that he was my savior, that he died for my sins, he rose again, that I could invite him to live in my heart. Jesus wasn't treated flippantly, although in post-Christian cultures he totally is, but he was a person or a concept that everyone I knew was extremely familiar with. 
And when something is so important, but so familiar, we tend to get a little lazy about it. We zone out during stories we think we've heard before. We don't feel the need to question our assumptions. Jesus, his death, and his resurrection are all absolutely central to everything to do with the Christian faith. There is no Christianity outside of him. So as we go into our next few episodes talking about Christian faith and life, there is nowhere else we could start but with Jesus. So who was and is Jesus? What does it mean to be his follower? And what can we learn about his character from the Gospels? So Ben, um, who was Jesus? Just like a, a light softball question yes. yeah, to yeah, start yeah. start the conversation. It's good. Yeah, I mean, obviously that is a huge question, but I do think it's it's right and appropriate for us to at least start with a baseline mm-hmm. um, for us here at Uncharted answering that question of who is Jesus. Of course, there are assumptions that can be made of what we would believe and what we hold to about Jesus, mm-hmm. especially with the audience that I think we're talking to. Yeah. But that being said, I do think it's good to just start with a, a very basic baseline of what we do believe. So some of the things that you mentioned in your opening, in your introduction, I think are words that I would affirm that Jesus is Jesus is and was a historical figure. Mm-hmm. That he was uh he wasn't his real. He was part of time and history. He had the role of prophet, of teacher, of miracle worker. So many of the descriptions that even people who don't identify as Christians use, Mm -hmm. I do think there is truth to those. But then beyond that, being the type of organization that we are, um, filled with people who hold to the beliefs that we have, I would say that at the core, we believe that Jesus is divine, that Jesus when he was here on earth was a hundred percent God. And that in addition to that, Jesus is, uh, and was when he was here a hundred percent human. So fully, fully man, fully God, mm-hmm. that he was God incarnate to use that word in the flesh, that Jesus was born of a virgin. Um, so we would probably point to a lot of sort of creed type language to affirm who Jesus is Mm -hmm. and who Jesus was. There's a lot we could say about what role does Jesus play? Uh, You mentioned the word savior. Um, So we believe that Jesus is the way, the truth and the life. And that while the invitation back to the father is extended to all. So it's very inclusive that there is uh, we, you know, we definitely hold to Jesus being the way uh, back into relationship with the father that Jesus is relational Mm -hmm. that he desires to be in relationship with us. Yeah. Do you, do you think it's fair to say that not, not that I'm trying to like put maybe definitions around, you know, what it means to be a Christian, but if a person does not or cannot believe that Jesus, the person was and is God and died and was resurrected do you think there's that's kind of there's no wiggle room for that if you want to also, you know, maintain your identity as a Christian? There's kind of no other way you can see Jesus. I would agree with that. Yeah. Yeah. That it is a core 
truth of what it means to be a follower of Christ is to, is to believe that, to believe that it is through the perfect life of righteousness that Christ lived through the death, the very real death that he experienced taking upon himself, the punishment of our sin, the very real victorious resurrection, defeating sin and death in doing so. And his, ascension back to the father. I mean, those are core aspects of, of belief in Christ and the effects of all of those things on our life, mm-hmm. um, that we could spend hours talking about. So yeah. yeah, I don't think there's wiggle room on those things. Yeah. Full disclosure, as I was kind of prepping for this podcast, I listened to a lot of the soundtrack to Jesus Christ Superstar. <laughs> which- That's awesome. Uh, is a, a rock opera musical from the 70s. My mom will really appreciate that. Shout out to Noah's mom. <laughs> My mom also probably appreciate it. Um, it's, you know, it's it's its whole thing. It's interesting. I, I like it. I like the music. I like musicals. So whatever. But I think it's super interesting because the kind of the core um, plot of the whole musical, it, mm-hmm. it follows the last seven days of Jesus' life. Yep. And the main characters are Jesus and Judas. Yeah. And kind of the whole conflict is Judas struggling with this idea that Jesus is divine, mm-hmm. that people are believing he's God, he's confused and upset and scared. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's really interesting to to put that kind of sympathy with Judas. I think most people don't have that. Mm. Um, but I think just listening to the music and trying to understand that whenever we really sit and think about it, it is really hard and strange to, to accept like a person as divine um, and to submit to someone, especially if it's somebody you've, you've seen and talked to and, and worked with for years. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's a reason why a lot of people reference the, what I think is a well-known quote by C.S. Lewis, you know, C.S. Lewis said it well, that the claims Jesus made make him either a liar, a lunatic, or actually the Lord. Mm-hmm. And maybe that quote has been so used it's become a little cliche or a little cheesy. But I do think Lewis summarizes it well and, and mm-hmm. affirms what you're saying. Like it is a really big deal, mm-hmm. the claims that Jesus makes about himself or even the claims that others make about Jesus that he lets stand. Mm -hmm. There's multiple times in the gospels where people call him God and he doesn't back down from that. He doesn't say, no, 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 that's not me. You know, he, he, where as John the Baptist was very upfront and saying like, no, like I'm not the one, the one's coming. Jesus didn't correct anybody. That's right. And Jesus in very unique ways did things that only, a divine being had the right and the authority to do or say, you know, for the example, um, forgiving people of sins Mm -hmm. that, that he would heal people. Well, we see, we see other people healing in, even in the gospels and certainly in the book of acts and places like that, but nobody else claims the authority of to say your sins are forgiven. Mm -hmm. So, the, the things that Jesus said, the different works that he performed, even the things said about him that he let stand, they definitely point to the fact that Jesus is a controversial figure mm-hmm. in history. And you have to, at some level, uh, confront 
who who is he of those three things that Lewis mm-hmm. it's it's hard to be Jesus neutral right yeah. exactly kind of have to commit either yep. way yep so talking about Jesus as divine and human we've got four different accounts of Jesus ministry and his life in the Bible and all of them are are different from each other not just in the sense that they have different stories or tell stories differently from each other, but they all also in their way show different aspects of who he was just in the, you know, if we're taking it from like a literary criticism point of view, Mm -hmm. just the style and the way they choose to say things express different characteristics of who he was. Yeah. And, you know, as people who are trying to imitate him, I think we have a responsibility to understand who he was. But I think it's another way of of being in relationship with him to kind of look at um, the the differences and similarities and kind of wrestle through a very real person who is complicated and surrounded by complicated culture and ideas and kind of go through and just talk about what what we see in him. Yeah. So I just wanted to kind of like talk through the Gospels and see what they were like. I think it's good that you're starting by pointing out the reality that the Gospels, though they are unified in the fact that they point and talk about the person of Jesus Christ, they are different from each other Mm -hmm. because they are four different perspectives. They're four different reports from four very different people, Mm -hmm. and they are being written to four different audiences. And so sometimes people read the gospels and there's a growing skepticism because it's like, Oh, well, Mark didn't say this or, Mm -hmm. uh, Luke leaves this out or, you know, the details aren't exactly lining up. And so it's easy for us to maybe condemn them or throw them out or Mm -hmm. not take them, um, you know, not say they're valid, whatever, but we do this today all the time. We accept different perspectives. I mean, the example would be if like if you and Noah went to a concert Mm -hmm. um, with a group of people. Right. And uh, you come back and I go up to I see Noah at a coffee shop and it's like, hey, man, how was the concert? You know, what what was the time like and what was your experience? Mm -hmm. And Noah, you know, was standing right up front and he was inches away from whoever it is, is your favorite band. I'll say Penny and Sparrow or somebody like that. Your perspective is going to be based off the fact that you were just feet away from them and what your person personality is like and what number Enneagram you are and (laughs) all that sort of stuff. And then if you were as a nine, I'd probably be back. Probably wouldn't be in the front row. Yeah. (laughs) But for Penny and Sparrow, I might be. You might. Yeah. Yeah. Versus, you know, Emily, if you were way, if you were way in the back of the mm-hmm. room and you were standing next to a friend who kept talking to you mm-hmm. the whole night and so you were distracted and only caught snippets of it. And so that's a silly example of if I were to ask you both what you experience, your same experience, you would report very different things, but you'd be describing the same event. overall event. Yeah. 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 So it is good to acknowledge that all these authors are different. They all had different experiences. Some of them were way more up close and personal, different audiences, 
those are things to consider mm-hmm. as we look at them. Yeah. And I never, I never want anyone to be scared of, you know, like, oh no, I just realized that there these accounts are different from each other in the Bible. Like that, that doesn't make any of it untrue. It's just different. And they're both true in the ways that they're true. Um, so yeah, I'm excited to look into these. Do you do you guys have a favorite gospel hmm. in in your you know extensive Bible study you do every day? I'm sure. <laughs> I certainly do like each one for different reasons, but if I had to pick one, I probably would pick Mark. Mark. Yeah. Why? Well, the way in which Mark writes, there's a higher sense of it. Pro- he was probably an eight on the Enneagram. <laughs> and that's so what you I relate. Yeah. Yes. Uh, there's a much higher sense of urgency and um, it, he gets to the bottom line of mm-hmm. things. Like his favorite word is immediately. Yep. And that's one of my favorite words. Like, let's just cut <laughs> to the chase here. So I like that. Yeah. I don't really, I don't really have a favorite gospel. Mm-hmm. Um, a few other books that I really like and I go back to I go back to James a lot but mm-hmm. in terms of the gospels I don't, I don't think I have one particular one that I mm-hmm. that sticks out for me um as a favorite necessarily mm-hmm. yep what about you yeah well I was I was really into Matthew for a long time uh-huh. but I think it's just because that's the one I had studied the most so I knew it yeah um and then I actually really didn't like John for a long time because it was like too weird for me huh but now I think that's the reason why I like it because okay. it's like kind of weird and different. You do like weird things. I, I do <laughs> like weird things. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's funny because um, I hadn't spent a lot of time thinking about the Gospels as four different distinct books from each other. Mm. And so it's like, well, they're all it's all the same. It's all mm. the one like I'd have favorite other books, yeah. but they're just all kind of meshed together and they all overlap with each other. And so I couldn't. I didn't take a lot of time to figure out the distinctions between mm, them. Yeah. So, but now that I've been forced to, that's my favorite this. I'm like, oh, yeah. I get it. That's good. Yeah. So if this is helpful, when you use that word distinction, um, there's there's a few things about each each gospel that may help a person as they read through the gospel, like how to view almost like lens, like what lens do I put on as Mm -hmm. I read this gospel? So for Matthew, for example, his overarching point, the way that he, the perspective that he wants to highlight with, with Christ, with the person of Jesus is, uh, Jesus as King. And so that's why, for example, he starts with lineage in the first chapter, the genealogy and, it can for us in the 21st century be boring Mm -hmm. to, you know, why are we reading all these names? But for Matthew, the overarching uh, way that he wants to communicate who Jesus is or demonstrate who Jesus is, is this is, this is Jesus as King. Mm -hmm. And another distinction about the book of Matthew is that Matthew is writing to a Jewish audience. Um, And so keeping that in mind, you know, why does he use some of the language that he uses Mm -hmm. versus Mark, for example, who he really wants his audience to see that Jesus is servant. So obviously very different than Jesus as king. 
And he's also writing to a Roman audience. And so he knows that the Roman audience is not going to care about a lot of the details Mm -hmm. of Jesus's life, especially things pertaining to Jewish customs and Jewish culture, um, because they're not familiar with those things. Then you have Luke, where Luke, uh, being the doctor that he is and just the type of mind that he has, he really wants to illustrate how uh, Jesus is man, that Jesus, um, though he is completely God, is also completely man. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of his stories um, are more drawn out to show the humanity of Jesus. This is why we use the first few chapters of Luke at Christmas time, yeah. because he really wants to show the humanity around the birth of, of Jesus. Yeah. I was going to say, I think the only thing I really knew about Luke is that he was the Christmas story. Exactly. <laughs> that's, pretty mu- yep. that's pretty much it. Yeah. Cause he really wants us to get into the humanity of what's happening uh, in, in and around that story and others as well. Mm-hmm. And then finally you've got John who really wants to highlight Jesus is God. And this is why he uses different language. You talked about, mm-hmm. you know, just how different John feels and sounds. It's why he begins John one with language that has echoes of the creation account in mm-hmm. the beginning. In the beginning was the word. And he's talking about Jesus. He really wants his audience to know this is God that we're talking about here. Um, this God who came in flesh, but at the same time existed at the time of creation, was part of creation and and existed before creation. Mm-hmm. So having some of those distinctions can be helpful to a reader as they look at the different gospels. What is the primary way? What's the primary point that each author is trying to communicate about Jesus Who's the audience that they're writing to? Um, those sorts of clues can help bring some light to why are they using the language that they do and things of that nature. Yeah. And something that I found really helpful for that was I watched um, a lot of the videos that the Bible Project did. Yeah. And they they do a really good job of outlining, you know, like like you were saying, the things that the different gospels emphasized and then would get into details of you know, this is when we say he was talking to Romans, this is the kind of language and these are the things he was saying. So yeah. we can put a link to those in the show description. That's great. We can also put a link to the Jesus Christ Superstar soundtrack, which is <laughs> equally as helpful. It's probably where everybody will start. Probably. So let's start with Matthew and we can kind of get more in depth onto we know that Matthew presents Jesus as a king. So what does that mean? What were the things that he showed? Um, and as I was reading, skimming Matthew, um, the thing that kept popping up to me that I noticed was that all the different times he used the word fulfilled, mm. like Jesus did a lot of things to fulfill mm. prophecies, but he also talked a lot about how he was fulfilling the law mm-hmm. and he was coming in and bringing new things. Yeah not to erase tradition or the morality that they had had, but to, to not expedite it, but lift it up even, even more in the thing that I kind of stood out in all of his, his teachings is he's, he's talking to to the Jewish people. So Mm -hmm. he says like, you have heard it said Mm -hmm. a lot in Matthew and he's saying like, this is, you know, you know this, but I'm saying this is something new. Yep. And he doesn't 
actually make it easier right. for them either. He actually makes it a lot harder right. in pretty much every way. Yeah. I mean, the fact that Messiah coming as king was not was not something unexpected from mm -hmm. the Israelite nation. Like they were they were ready and primed for for Messiah to come as king. But what the book of Matthew really illustrates is just how completely different the coming of Jesus as king was to what they expected. I mean, he completely shattered their expectations. Mm -hmm. And you you alluded to some of those some of the ways in which he did that. You know, you have heard it said this, now I'm saying this. And so really a lot of Jesus's teachings that Matthew captures in the gospel are really meant to highlight what does this kingdom actually look like? Mm -hmm. And it was so different than what the Jewish audience oppressed by Roman rule during that day, what they were expecting. Mm -hmm. They wanted a king who was coming in with swords Right, you know, raising up a military coup. Here we go. We're taking back our land, our politics. And Jesus comes and does the exact opposite. I mean, this is why when he says things like, um, he he has come for the bruised reed and a a a wick he does not snuff out. Like he's using language that talks about my kingdom isn't about violence. My mm -hmm. kingdom isn't about military takeovers. My kingdom is about healing. My kingdom is about the marginalized. My kingdom is about um, what you wouldn't expect. And so it completely blows apart what this Jewish audience was expecting, which mm -hmm. is why Peter gets so mad at him um, <laughs> uh, when he talks about his death and his persecution and, and the cross. And this is why Peter yells at him, like, what are you talking about? Because mm -hmm. um, they weren't expecting a suffering king. Mm -hmm. They were expecting a conquering king. But you have beautiful descriptions of what the kingdom of heaven, what the kingdom of God is like. You mm -hmm. know, And this is why the Sermon on the Mount is really one of the pinnacle messages of Jesus is because it's not just about revealing who the king is, though it is that, mm -hmm. but it's also demonstrating this is what the kingdom of God is like and what it means to be part of it. Yeah. And in, it, in the same way where he, he was talking about the law and he changed it and made it harder, you know, he's saying, you've heard it said not to murder but i'm saying if you hate somebody that's murder you know right. that makes it a lot harder to not commit murder yep <laughs> but it it's also better because you know that it's more loving you're you're more good it's not just about outward actions mm -hmm. so in a similar way he's he's talking about this kingdom and they're expecting something literal something with swords something immediate and he's saying like no this is even better. This yep. is a lot harder. Yeah. And it, but it's not going to go away. You yep. can't, you can't be removed from this kingdom yeah. once you're in it. Yeah. It's cool too, to see different parables that Jesus shares that are kingdom oriented that also reveal an unexpected character of who the king is. Mm -hmm. So when we say the word king, there's certain personality traits or certain um, personifications we would assume, you know, like kings are arrogant, yeah. kings are selfish, kings are all about themselves. The subjects exist to 
you know, satisfy the king's every need, things like that. Yeah. That makes me think of in the Old Testament when they were talking about Saul becoming the king right. and they just say like he was taller than everyone else. Exactly. Yeah. And then you see Jesus share these kingdom oriented parables. So they start, he, he literally starts with the kingdom of heaven is like, mm-hmm. and then he talks about the woman who loses a single coin and is turning over her house to find this one coin or the shepherd who loses the one sheep out of the 99 and just these beautiful pictures of an unexpected king, you know, someone who's driven by compassion to bring people back to himself, someone who is willing to sacrifice um, the most, you Mm -hmm. know, in order to bring about restoration and and the list goes on and on of just these unexpected character qualities of this king. He's selfless. He's a servant. He's mm-hmm. washing people's feet. He's going to the ends of the earth in order to bring restoration and forgiveness and completeness back to people. Yeah. And then I think that also is revealed in how he asks people to to act whenever they follow him. You know, he he is a king who is selfless and is not, you know, going out and conquering. Mm -hmm. And he asks us not to go out and kind of conquer with our righteousness. Mm -hmm. In Matthew, he says a lot, like when you pray, you should pray in your home and Mm -hmm. God hears your heart. And when you, um, when you give, you should give in secret, Mm -hmm. you know, it's a, it's a kind of similar connection in the sense that like, if you want to be righteous, if you want to be a king, you actually should do the things that seem counterintuitive. That's right. Yeah. So let's talk about Mark now. Mark <laughs> is your favorite. He's your guy. I do. Yes, I do like the book of Mark. I like the, I, I'd be curious meeting if I have a chance to meet the four authors, uh, if I would resonate with him the most. You want to hang out yeah. with Mark? I do also like his emphasis on on mission. I mean, I obviously each gospel highlights a different way that Jesus sends out his disciples. So they all have that. But right out of the gate, I love even just in chapter one, how you see Jesus living out the mission of the father mm-hmm. and doesn't waste any time. He doesn't. Yeah. yeah. And there's some really good practical examples and even language that Jesus uses that I feel like are incredibly applicable to what it looks like to live on mission today. So, um, yeah, I do like not only the intensity and the speed and the immediacy of how Mark writes his gospel, but I also like just the intentionality of mission that he Mm -hmm. he highlights. Well, to, to be honest, Mark is kind of my, my least favorite. That's okay. That's all right. (laughs) And, and I think I think part of it is because I never really read it because it's like most of it's in Matthew. So like, <laughs> it's a summary. Be, right. Maybe it's the cliff note version. And that's why I like it. Because yeah. I'm all about cliff Just notes. Just like, yeah, yeah. Go through it. The thing that kind of stood out to me more so in Mark is how confusing Jesus is. Mm. And almost intentionally mm. sometimes. He Mark doesn't share a lot of his teaching where like Matthew kind of gives this whole recount of Sermon on the Mount. And Mark says like, and he taught and then he went over and did something else with his disciples. Yeah. Um, and then in the times that he does speak, 
he speaks mostly in parables or stories. And then it's noted that nobody understood what he was talking about or the disciples had to ask him to explain a lot. Yeah. And I think initially that's a little off putting Mm -hmm. because you're like, if this is, if this guy is giving me like the most important information for my, you know, eternal salvation, right. Don't you want to be clear? Right. (laughs) Don't you want people to understand it? Yeah. Um, but I've kind of come around and now I'm kind of into it <laughs> because, because That's I, I kind of like when things are beyond my understanding. Yeah. I appreciate it. Um, and so like to first to hear that disciples who were there with him and heard it out of his, out of his mouth were like, I don't really know what you're saying. Right. Like, okay, I could hang with these guys. Right. But it's not. When I think about it, it's not that strange to think that when God is trying to explain this whole new thing, yeah, that maybe I won't get it. Yeah. It's interesting, too. I think of all four Gospels, it's the most clearly written to a non-Jewish audience, mm-hmm. specifically to a Roman audience. And so it's interesting to realize that Mark is trying to present Jesus as a servant, he's trying to present Jesus in a way that is so contrary, so different than what a Roman audience would expect mm-hmm. a person to, uh, how how they would expect a person to depict their their God, their King, their their Master, whatever word like that you would want to use. If you think about Roman culture, and you know, in that days you had um, Julius Caesar and 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 just surrounding context of different rulers, Augustus and Octavian and so on and so forth. I mean, they were the the profile of what we think about when we think about the word king mm-hmm. in the sense from a very human standpoint. Like they were incredibly arrogant. They thought themselves to be godlike. Um, everything centered around them. They had images of their face stamped on coins, for goodness sake. You know, I mean, the the, the level of arrogance was incredibly high. And so here Mark is writing to this Roman audience who is used to that. That's mm-hmm. what is normal for them. And he's presenting Jesus, this God, this king, this man, in a completely different way as servant. And so imagine just how controversial and different and unsettling that must have felt for a Roman audience mm-hmm. that Mark would present him that way. Yeah. I think it's cool that you bring up that you know, Mark was written for people who were not this familiar. It's, it's almost the opposite of Matthew, you right. know? That's right. Um, because in in all the stories, you know, the disciples don't get it. Jesus has to explain stuff to them. His family doesn't get it. They try to tell him to stop. But the people who get it in Mark are the the unclean and the women yeah. and the, the demons he casts out. I think that, um, you know, at the, at the crucifixion in Mark, the Roman soldier is the one who says, this is the son of God. You yeah. know, it's not his disciples yeah. who say that. Yeah. Um, and so I think, I think that's a cool picture of Jesus and his inclus- inclusivity. If that, that's the right word, right? Inclus- inclusiveness. In- his inclusiveness, inclusiveness. The way he includes everybody. But I think that that would be really cool as somebody who's not, a part of this community who mm. who wasn't allowed, you know, to go into temples or hear teachings 
to hear be like, actually, like he came for you. Right. And you like are, can get it like you're there. Yeah. You can get it better than people who are, quote unquote, supposed to. Right. That's a great point. Yep. There is there is one thing that comes up in Mark a lot that confuses me and I, and I don't get it. And I don't know. I don't know that you have the answer, but I'm going to air my grievances. I, I look forward to hearing it. <laughs> so and this may not be just exclusive to Mark. But there are times where Jesus heals people or casts out demons, and then he tells them, don't tell anybody. Hmm. You know, there's um, some guy who is a leper, I think, is healed. Mm -hmm. And he's like, what what should I do? I'm so excited. And mm -hmm. Jesus is like, go to your family, show them that you're clean, but like, just mm -hmm. live your life, man. Don't tell anybody. Mm -hmm. And he goes off rejoicing and telling everybody because, mm -hmm. I mean, how could you not? Yeah. So that that I don't get. Yeah. And I don't, I don't know what I'm yeah. supposed to do with that. Well, I certainly don't have like the ironclad answer. I'm really disappointed. <laughs> <laughs> Responses I've heard though, um, take, take them or leave them. Some have said perhaps Jesus does that because he doesn't want the miracle he just performed to outshine the overarching purpose for which he came. Mm -hmm. um, others would say that the reason Jesus tells them not you know, not to publicly, wildly talk about what just happened is uh, his his time had not come. Like mm -hmm. the thought is that maybe he would try to be crowned king or um, some response from the multitudes and the crowds would would ensue that Jesus wasn't wanting at all or wasn't ready for. And so sort of this general idea is, well, his time hadn't come. Mm -hmm. Um he was waiting for, you know, something else to happen, um, primarily looking towards his crucifixion. So those are a couple of thoughts that people have thrown out. Those are not like Ben Stewart originals. <laughs> um, TM, yeah, copyright. Exactly. Um, yeah. And I don't know that they're completely satisfactory, but. Yeah. I think that's just another one of those things. It's like, I don't get it and I can't discount it. Right. You know, it's in the Bible. Yeah. But it's just something that's like, well, this is. I'm just going to think about it more yeah. and accept it Yeah, and move on. <laughs> it is interesting that there are some encounters that Jesus has with people where he heals him, like the demoniac who he casts out thousands of demons, sends mm -hmm. them in the pigs, the pigs go off the cliff, you know, that kind of famous miracle. And that person tells Jesus, I want to follow you. Mm -hmm. In essence, become like a 13th disciple. And Jesus says, no, I want you to go back to your community. Mm -hmm. Well, then later in scripture, you read about what happened to that community and how multiple people actually came to know Christ through that man's presence and witness. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of cool in that, in some of those cases to see why Jesus says no to one thing is because it's going to have a different effect, a different kingdom oriented effect in a different place in a different way than we expect. Mm -hmm. So maybe that plays into it too somehow. Yeah, I think for sure. So let's talk about Luke. Luke is the Christmas story. And that's kind of kind of all I all the feelings I had about it <laughs> before I started looking into more stuff for this podcast. Um just because I think I think I had been taught that Luke was a doctor and a scholar and he was like the historical researched guy. Um so if you want like the facts go to go to Luke and he'll he'll tell you in the gospel and in Acts. And uh I don't know, I guess that's just not that compelling to me. <laughs> <laughs> I 
Well, I think one of the cool things about Luke is it gives a really cool picture of how Jesus mentors his disciples. And one, one way you can break down the book of Luke is the first eight chapters are all about a historical narrative of the person of Jesus, right? So like you talked about mm-hmm. the Christmas story is, is the most lengthy and detailed, really highlighting his human, his human birth. Um, so the first eight chapters are the historical person of Jesus and then focus front and center on the ministry of Jesus and the message of Jesus. So mm-hmm. Jesus is like in the spotlight for the first eight chapters. And then in chapter nine, there's a really prominent shift where the disciples of Jesus up to that point, they've been watching, they've been observing, they've been listening to mm-hmm. him. It's been all about mentorship. It's been all about seeing what he's been doing, maybe some minimal um, participation in it, but really it's been Jesus front and center. And then in chapter nine, there's a very clear switch where Jesus gets his disciples together and he says, all right, guys, it's your turn. And this is where you have one of the first accounts of him sending out his followers. And you see them starting to do the very things that Jesus had been doing Mm -hmm. in those first eight chapters. And so I like the picture of how it demonstrates not only the human, the humanness of Jesus, but all the men, also the mentoring of that Jesus is doing with his followers. Yeah. I found Luke to be a very compassionate picture of yeah. Jesus. And I think that's similar is like he was very focused on helping and healing and serving and telling his disciples, okay, you are doing this too. Like, I think in Luke, whenever he starts his ministry, the first thing he says is like, I have good news for the poor. And it's that like, I'm here to serve you and raise you up and help you. And I think that kind of sets the stage for, for the rest of the book and his actions in it. I, I looked up like stories that only appear in Luke or whatever Mm. to, to kind of differentiate them in my mind. And as I was looking at Luke's, like a lot of the stories or parables that he includes are about um, writing injustices mm. or or the lengths that God or someone will go to to rescue mm. a person or find a thing. Um, the parable of the prodigal son is only in Luke. Mm. And I think that kind of um, shows a more like personable and and um, like compassionate, Jesus. Yeah. I mean, even the way he responds to different people's doubts, the way he responds to uh, different, you know, sin encounters or or whatever, um, you see different ways in which the compassion of Jesus, the patience of Jesus, um, he really does resonate. You see him resonating with the the humanness of others Mm -hmm. um, because even in his own perfect way, him experiencing humanity. Yeah. And I think an interesting thing that I found comparing Luke to, to Matthew, you know, we talked about Matthew is kind of more, um, there are teachings that talk about how don't be, don't show off your righteousness when you do good deeds, do them in secret. And Luke, he says, you will know a tree by its fruit and you're supposed to go out and do good things and heal people. And it's kind of, it can be confusing to have both of those teachings from the same person, yeah. but I don't think they're in conflict with each other. Right. It's just one's chosen to emphasize over the other. Yeah. 
it is interesting too how the different personalities of each gospel author come out. Mm-hmm. And I think that in and of itself is really cool with the gospel of Luke because you do see somebody who is more logical, is more needs more empirical data and there there are lots of people out there who who resonate with that, you <laughs> yeah. know, and it's why the the end of Luke um Luke wants to prove like Jesus, the resurrected Jesus was seen. Mm-hmm. He was talked to. He was touched. There was touched. There was an encounter. And so really just that more that medical, logical, rational side of Luke shaping how the book is written. I think it's so cool how that speaks to one personality subset of people versus, mm-hmm. you know, maybe Matthew that's more emotional or John that's more, you know? Yeah. Um, so I think that's pretty cool too, how that comes out. Yeah. There's just the one more thing that I thought was cool in Luke that I learned, um, was that Jesus, his last act on the cross in Luke was one of compassion. Mm. It was, um, the, the thief who was being crucified alongside him. Yeah. It was him saying like, Hey, you will be with me in paradise today. And I, and that made me think of, you know, well, what do the other gospels say? And uh. the, the one I can think of off the top of my head right now, cause I don't <laughs> remember, but in Mark, Mark is where he says, you know, my God, why have you forsaken me? Mm. And I think that kind of amplifies the, the suffering servant kind mm-hmm. of that Mark had, whereas Luke was talking about, he is a healer and a savior, yep. a savior. Yeah. I just thought that was interesting. Good. Now let's talk about the weird one. Let's talk about John. <laughs> the weird one, which <laughs> has become kind of your favorite, right? Now, now I'm into it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So what about the book of John has, has grown on you and <laughs> made it one of your favorites? I think, um, one thing is I, I'm into reading. I like reading and, and literature. And I think there's a lot of just really beautiful passages in John, especially the beginning. Yeah. Um, he's talking about the word being yeah. with God and talking about a light and darkness. Um, I just find those like really compelling. Um, and I like his poetic nature that doesn't come out very much in the, yeah. in the other books. Um, but I also like the holiness mm. that kind of emerges around Jesus. Mm. And I think that the strangeness of John that goes hand in hand, because mm. in general, I think, and I definitely have for a long time, when I think about something as holy, I just kind of think of something as like the best version mm. of what it is or something that is glowing. You know, it's got like a gold shine around mm-hmm. it, but in actuality, holiness really is something that's separate and and different and almost something like I don't relate to. It's it's above me and I don't get it. Mm-hmm. And so, of course, it is strange and alien and and not super comfortable. You know, it's holy. It's it's bigger. It's greater. Mm-hmm. And so, I'm just I'm compelled by that. And I'm really into the idea. It's it gets really uncomfortable yeah. and unsettling. And there are things Jesus says in the book that seem weird to me and he talks a lot (laughs) and I don't follow. And I think instead of kind of being put off by that, it, it pulls me in more. Mm. That's cool. And I think, um, a lot of what you're saying highlights 
just the difference, how, how John really does stand alone in some ways from the other Gospels. That's why we even have a term for the other three Gospels being the synoptic Gospels. Mm-hmm. And that word comes from a Greek word that, that means to see together, right? So you have Matthew, Mark, and Luke that are considered synoptic Gospels. There's a lot of similarities. There's a lot of overlap or uh, abbreviated stories or Mm -hmm. things like that. But then, yeah, John does really stand alone in many respects. I mean, certainly there's enough similarities uh, in perspective to align it with, with the other three gospels, but the literary richness that you talk about, I also am very drawn to that in Mm -hmm. the book of John, the, some of the stories that are, unique in and of themselves or in the way that he depicts them are really, uh, are really rich to use your word. Um, Mm -hmm. the, the woman, uh, the woman at the well, the woman in Samaria, that story, for example, is just such a powerful illustration of, of who Jesus is, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, of the message of Jesus, the impact of Jesus, the focus of Jesus's mission and ministry. And you have just these rich stories in the book of John that, um, it's almost like a all of a sudden you get this whole other piece of mm-hmm. the character and personality of of Jesus and his kingdom that we haven't seen yet in the other three gospels. Yeah. yeah. I think the the phrase that that I was thinking of is when Jesus is saying, My kingdom is not from this world. Yeah. You know, like it is it do, is not gonna make sense. Yeah. But like it's for this world. Yeah. So I'm gonna bring it. Yeah. One thing that I think goes with this idea of holiness is John spends a lot of time talking about Jesus's death Mm. um, and goes into more detail than the other gospels. And I think that that is obviously something most people are uncomfortable with. And like the, even Christians who, who believe in the resurrection, it's, it's still kind of weird Mm. to talk about like he suffered and then now he's walking around and Thomas sticks his his <laughs> fingers in the wounds and yep. and there's just like a weird kind of mystery um it makes me think of in CS Lewis Till We Have Faces mm. um which is like maybe my favorite novel wow yeah i know that's a bold statement it, i'm coming from I'm, you i'm especially. taking a stand yeah, yeah. <laughs> i'm not very decisive <laughs> um but but in the novel till we have faces one of the characters goes into a temple in her country and it's dark and it is weird. And there's, it smells like blood because there Mm. are sacrifices and she feels claustrophobic. And she says, why must holy Mm. places be dark places? Mm. And I think we don't have to be afraid of holiness, Mm. but I think we are uncomfortable with darkness Mm. and with something very real, like blood and Mm. sacrifice and, in a risen body that had been broken. Mm. Um, and I don't think it's bad. Like dark places aren't always necessarily bad places. Yeah. And I think John isn't afraid of that. And yeah. I think that's why I'm kind of coming around to it. Yep. That's cool. I like that. Yeah. I like that connection to to that book and, and highlighting just the holiness and the weightiness and the richness um, that John pulls out. Mm-hmm especially as he is really trying to highlight um, just the di- the divineness of who Jesus is. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting to me that John, I think of all the gospels, just from a cursory glance, spends the most time 
post-resurrection mm-hmm. or at least some of the most intimate interactions yeah. post-resurrection. Like you have Jesus uh, hanging out at the beach with his disciples after the resurrection and you have like that campfire scene mm-hmm. and the interaction with Peter um, talking about some of, you know, giving calling to Peter, but even just responding to some of Peter's insecurities and comparisons and things like that. And I just love how detailed and intimate John gets with some of the post-resurrection stuff, because I feel like some of the other gospels, it's like, oh, he rose again and (laughs) here he goes, you know? And, and yet I love like, just, it gives us a little bit more, like it's a little bit more. I love in any book, I love the appendices. Like I want to know like, well, but what actually happened after that? Yeah. Afterward. Yeah, exactly. Then what? Yep. And so it feels like that with the book of John, which I appreciate. Yeah. For our closing benediction for this episode, it seemed most appropriate rather than making something up and writing something to actually use what is known as the Christ hymn out of Colossians chapter one. For he rescued us from the dominion of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. For he, Christ, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by Christ all things were created, both in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through Christ and for Christ. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is also head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he himself will come to have first place in everything. For it was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in him and through him to reconcile all things to himself, having made peace through the blood of his cross. Through him I say, whether things on earth or things in heaven.